This is Chris Reynolds and welcome to the Entrepreneur House podcast. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs creating events and retreats all over the world. Picture yourself spending four weeks with other high level entrepreneurs in the northern mountains of Thailand this coming October and November 2017. It will be full of masterminds, workshops, advisors, like-minded entrepreneurs, and of course, some fun adventure. If you're ready to take your business to the next level with other successful entrepreneurs, be sure to apply at theentrepreneurhouse.com. On today's episode, we are joined by the media hacker and financial planner for Generation Y and the millennials, Sophia Barra. Sophia founded Gen Y Planning to cater to an underserved niche in the financial planning world. After hearing many times from experienced financial planners that it would be a horrible idea to serve this market, Sophia started the business anyway and nailed it. On the show, we get behind the mind of Sophia and where the younger generation should put their money. We also talk about some really great investments for younger entrepreneurs and digital nomads that are listening. We will address the importance of saving, investing, and setting some financial goals to diversify your money. Sophia also talks a lot about her media coverage. She's been featured on dozens of popular media outlets. She will share some of her hacks to get in with the media and exactly how she does it. It's an incredible episode and one I highly recommend. Stay tuned, you guys, because here comes Sophia Barra. Welcome, Sophia, to the podcast. How are you today? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on the show, and I'm really excited to have you. So we want to jump right into the podcast and get to know as much about you as we can. And can you tell us how you became the entrepreneur that you are today? Ooh, I think so. (laughs) (laughs) It's been quite a whirlwind. Um, So I was a theater major in college. A lot of people think that I must have studied finance or economics. I did not. I was a double major in theater and women's studies. And I bought a house when I graduated from college when I was 21. And my friends started coming to me with their money questions. And I wanted to help them. And some of them I could help and some, you know, their questions were too complicated. And so I was doing research online and I found out about this this um, certification in financial planning that you could get to become a CFP, a certified financial planner. So I started taking my classes and in my second class, I met my future boss and I got my foot in the door at a father-son financial planning firm. And I did that for a few years and then I switched companies and went to work with my mentor for a few years and then uh, switched companies again and worked for a startup in New York for a year, but worked virtually for Minneapolis. And then after a year of working crazy hours at the startup, Um, I decided it was time for me to launch Gen Y planning and do my own thing so that I could help uh, bring financial planning to Gen Y to empower my generation. So I launched about three and a half years ago and I've been in the profession almost 10 years now. And um, I work with about 50 clients across the country that are all in their, you know, mid 20s to early 40s and help them use their money to match their values to live amazing lives. I love it. Where did the first idea come up for you to create genuine planning? Or when, excuse me. Yeah, it was actually, I was going to WDS, the World Domination Summit, mm-hmm. and I had had this idea for, like, I'd, I'd been tossing around this idea of how do I help more young people with their money like, what, what could I be doing more of? And I decided at the time they were taking um, speaker proposals for breakout sessions. Mm-hmm. And I submitted a speaker proposal that was 
financial planning for Gen Y taught by Gen Y, thinking that like, you know, people had a vote on this. So I didn't think that mine would be chosen because it had to get a certain number of votes and they were doing like 20 or 30 breakout sessions. And I had enough votes to have a breakout session. And that's when I had, you know, something like 20 or 25 random people that I didn't know show up to my session because it was a topic they were interested in. And that's kind of how I knew that it had some legs for being an actual business. That was kind of my beta launch of testing, you know, is this idea something that people, you know, are curious about, want to learn more about? Um, yeah, so that's that was kind of like one thing that I tried that I really, um, you know, after getting a lot of my peers coming to me asking um, financial questions, I didn't know if I could have complete strangers come to me with financial questions. And it turns out there were a lot of questions that people had and didn't know who to go to to talk about it. Isn't it funny how much people really don't understand about money and finances. Yeah, but not surprising either. You know, we don't really learn it anywhere. And a lot of times we learn from negative example or you learn by making our own mistakes. And so I think that a lot of my clients come to me really ashamed and embarrassed that they don't know more because a lot of them are very well educated, right? They have mm -hmm. grad degrees, they're doctors, lawyers, they're engineers, they have their MBA, they're smart people that have learned a lot and have a lot of knowledge, but this is an area that they're really lacking, which is why I think that financial education is such an important part of what I do. I really want to educate people around their money and why I'm making the recommendations that I am because I take the position that you are the expert in your own life and that nobody cares about your money more than you do. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things I recommend in, well, the Entrepreneur House and on the podcast is for people to be completely open about their financial situation because I think it's this idea of us not talking about money that's kind of taboo in right. our culture. And it really, really, really holds us back and gets us into some deep financial trouble a lot of times because we don't know, we just, we're scared to talk about money, period. Right, there are all these no-talk rules around money, uh -huh. right? Like, just like there are a lot of no-talk rules around sex. It's like <laughs> these are the two topics in our culture that people don't want to talk about. And yet they're, they're a huge cause for um, strife in relationships, yep. right? And, and, you know, our problems with money and problems with sex. And so the more comfortable you can get talking about those things and the more vulnerable you can be, um, I really think the more uh, happy you'll be, right, is, mm -hmm. is really discovering, like, what it is you need to do to work on your finances and talking about, um, the numbers and talking about um, your goals and values and aligning your money with your values as opposed to just kind of shaming yourself or beating yourself up for uh, money that you spent, right? Like, oh, I shouldn't have done bought those concert tickets or I shouldn't have um, spent so much money eating out last month. Um, to really think about your money like going forward, how you want to use it, what aligns with your values. Um, so that if travel is something that's really important to you, that you set up a separate savings account earmarked for travel so that there's no guilt anymore when your savings account balance drops to book a ticket to Europe, right? Right. Beautiful. I couldn't agree more. Sophia, so let's talk about the growth of your business. When you first started Gen Y Planning, how did the initial launch go? And then how did you grow the business to attract clients, say, within the first three to six months? Yeah. 
So I think a lot of entrepreneurs are in or or entrepreneurs are in a much better position than I was in the sense that they can start a side hustle before they quit their full-time job. Mm. And by that, I mean, you know, bringing in a little extra money in thinking about how can you start building those income streams or take on your first few clients or test your product before you quit your full-time work, right? Right. And if you can do that and know that you have a little bit of money coming in before you have just money going out, <laughs> it's going to make it so much easier for you to, to launch and have more of a runway and not have to just deplete your savings every month. I started with zero clients and, you know, I started with zero. I started from nothing, from complete scratch because I had a do not compete at my last company. Mm. So I couldn't leave and take a bunch of clients with me, which is what a lot of people assumed that I did, right? Like, oh, well, you worked at the startup that was doing something similar. So couldn't you just leave? And then how many clients did you bring with you? And I couldn't bring them with me. I had to start with zero. Mm. And I'm telling you that because I think that you can start from zero. Um, the, but the other things that I did do was I tried to find a side hustle pretty fast. So I um, did some financial writing for a couple blogs and, and even the last company that I was at had me do a few articles for them. So I had, did some freelance writing for a few hundred dollars here or there. And I also was able to find some work doing this like online financial chatting where I was paid pretty well, but it was just a few hours a week. But that was enough to help kind of sustain me while I was, you know, I think I was making like $1,200 a month. So it basically like slowed the the drip from my, <laughs> you know, or slowed the water faucet, right? Mm -hmm, so yeah. it wasn't like, you know, from my savings account. Um, but I also had to put in about five grand up front from hiring a compliance consultant to getting a website done to, um, so I think that my startup costs were higher as well than they are with a lot of, um, online businesses. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing that I did was I just, I tried to get press from the beginning um, and started blogging about things that I wanted to be known for, which was millennials and money and Gen Y finance and, and just articles that I thought would be really helpful. I just started creating content and educating my readers in a way that I thought might be the most helpful to them and hoping that some people might be interested enough to become a client. Um, and I started by answering a lot of Harrow ads for those of you who aren't familiar, Harrow stands for Help a Reporter Out. And I think the website is like helpareporter.com or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I started answering the ones that had anything to do with finance or money or, you know, something that if I could be at all helpful as, as a CFP, I wanted, I wanted to, you know, try to get quoted. Um, and I, and slowly reporters started responding to my, you know, I started responding to their hero requests. They started doing phone interviews with me. And the important thing was that when I was on the call with them, I tried to be super helpful and also 
kind of educate them around what I was doing and how I might be helpful to them in the future for future articles. Um, and what was really interesting is many of those reporters reached back out to me again before just putting out another Harrow ad because they enjoyed that I was, you know, answering, I'd answer my phone right away and I would reply to their emails and I would um, provide uh, use a useful quote for them and had you know some knowledge specific to you know young clients so if they were maybe they're interviewing me first for an article on buying versus renting and then they you know reached out three months later because they were doing an article on student loans so I think it's important to remember to you know really you're really building a foundation and 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 a niche and a network and that it's not just um, a, it's really about the relationships um, some of the people that have quoted me I actually used to work with at um, my startup job and they were on the editorial team and left to go on to work at places like Business Insider and Forbes and guess what some of those people have called called me for quotes and that's how I got quoted in in those publications so it's it's really you know building a network and being helpful and um, being being nice being friendly um, and also you know kind of pitching them some other ideas as well that they might be able to return you know use and and quote you again. How long, Sophia, did it take you for the business to become sustainable and you didn't have to do any other side hustles? So I still do side hustles, but they uh-huh. have to do with my business. Okay. So by that, I mean, I bring in a variety of different income streams from, from, so I like having multiple income streams. Okay. So I get paid um, an initial planning fee from any new client that, that I take on. Mm-hmm. I get paid ongoing um, monthly financial planning fees from clients that are from the 50 clients that are working with me on an ongoing basis. And um, I get paid a small amount on some assets that I manage as well. So that's kind of under my Gen Y planning umbrella. Those are like kind of the three income streams. Um, and then I last year finally decided I had enough other kind of random side hustles happening that I needed to create the Sophia Barra LLC and lump those under that. So I also get paid as a speaker. So this past month I went in and spoke at Google and talked to their employees. Um, I speak at different financial planning conferences. I go into corporations and educate their employees um, around their finances. And so I have speaker income. Um, I still do some financial writing for other uh, financial outlets for companies that want a younger voice and, you know, pitch articles to them and then do those, um, you know, do some financial writing as well. I do coaching with other financial planners. So in addition to helping more young clients with their money, I help other financial planners launch their own businesses, grow their financial planning firms. And I have an ebook, I have a course, I have, so I have online sales from those things. Um, So I really do have like, I think almost 10 different income streams wow. where, but they're, they're now kind of all kind of tied to that bringing financial planning to Gen Y to empower my generation theme. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm not like an Uber driver, right? Like I don't have to do <laughs> okay. things like that to make ends meet, which I'm very grateful. And, and if you do, that's okay. Um, 
But I feel like what's really fun is kind of seeing how all these different things tie together. And by being able to, you know, now consult with companies or startups about their new, you know, fintech app that they're trying to bring to market. Um, It's just, it's really fun to be able to use my brain in different ways. And, And so I really like doing different things. But yes, now... Gen Y planning is sustainable on its own. And I actually, I've had an associate planner that's worked with me the last year part-time virtually, and she's coming on full-time starting in April, which I'm really excited about. Now, Sophia, I think it's really interesting how your business model is set up because the way that you make money through Gen Y planning is much different than any other financial planners out there uh, that I've seen anyway. And so can you explain your model and why you decided to go that route? Yeah. So when I was in traditional financial planning, um, the model was built around managing assets. And so you really couldn't work with the younger investor that was like the young accumulator that was, you know, making good money, but just didn't have the time to accumulate the assets yet. And so for a long time, and and still a a fear or a belief within the financial planning community is that young clients don't have any money and you can't make any money working with young clients. It's not a sustainable business model. Um, And I thought, well, that's not their fault. They just haven't had time to accumulate money. And isn't it, you know, in their best interest to start young? Uh, you know, that's what we've been taught. So why won't anybody work with them? And I thought it's an it's an us problem as financial planners that we hadn't figured out a way to charge young clients. It was not a them problem of they them not having enough assets. So I basically flipped the model on its head and decided to charge an upfront planning fee followed by a monthly retainer model um, because a lot of my clients are making six figures, just haven't had time to accumulate six figures in assets yet. And then I can work with them regardless of the asset level they have um, and help them you know, grow their income pretty quickly or grow their um, assets pretty quickly once we are, you know, we, once we are we're working together. But it also makes me not focused on the assets. If they have, you know, student loans they want to pay off or if they have a home that they want to buy, you know, it's really more about aligning with their goals and less about um, managing their money. Now, Sophia, we have to talk press and media coverage because you seem to be like a master at this. And if anybody looks on Gen Y Planning's website, Sophia has a page where she lists all the places in the media that she is featured. And just in 2016, that list goes from CNBC, The College Investor, New York Times, USA Today, Business Insider, everybody. It seems like you've been everywhere on every media outlet in the world, <laughs> nearly. <Aww>. But. <laughs> But so I want to know, and, and I remember you mentioning earlier in the podcast that you started immediately working on media coverage and, and getting into the press. I want to know basically what your strategy is and how you've implemented it for the business over the past three and a half years. So I think that one thing that's really important is to choose a niche because the while other financial planners thought it was silly that I was working with young clients or that I wanted to be a financial planner for Gen Y, 
the press actually thought that was pretty interesting. Mm. The press thought that that was a story in itself. The press thought, huh, well, how do younger investors differ from older investors? Huh, well, what are the financial questions that millennials are asking? You know, and, and so I think first it's figuring out what's your, what do you want to be known for? What is it that your company's doing that's unique? What's the story? Um, because the press doesn't just want to do a bunch of, you know, coverage on things that have already been done. They're trying to find like a little bit different angle. And, and so the other thing is if you can choose a niche, then you can create content and create um, a blog or video content or a podcast or whatever that is around what you want to be known for. And then that's where SEO comes into play. And when people are searching for you on Google, your your search engine optimization is better because you they find articles that you've written on, you know, uh, so one of my most popular articles is, should I contribute to a Roth IRA or a 401k? And that is something that pops up. And so if somebody's doing an article on that, then that, that might, you know, pop up on a Google search. And then that reporter reaches out to me because they've been Googling around looking for, you know, somebody that can speak to this topic. So I think like really not getting so caught up in, in, um, in getting like a piece of press and more, educating your ideal client and educating your ideal customer is really important and that a lot of times the press will find you naturally from that and then if you are going to reach out I think that um, Harrow is a great place to start because those are pitches that the press is writing on and you can you don't have to pitch them directly then you can just respond to a you know a pitch like a request basically um and then if you do want to pitch the press, like having a unique angle in which you're doing that, um, I, now I'm on a lot of these weird press lists. And so I get a bunch of spammy stuff from PR agencies that it's like people have no idea what it is that I, they, they haven't done the research to what, what it is that I do or how I work or whatnot. And so to to really, if you are doing cold outreach, you know, finding that common connection, finding that angle that's unique um, is really important. And then, like I said, once you do get a little bit of traction, to be really helpful, to, you know, nurture those press contacts, to reach out to them on occasion um, and offer your help and whatnot, and just to try to be really helpful. You know, it's it's not about what they can do for you. It's about how can you help them? And that that mindset has really been a, a huge, has had a huge impact on my business. Um, the other thing is more press doesn't necessarily lead to more money. Mm. So just because I've been quoted in the New York Times and the Huffington Post and have a column on Business Insider and whatnot, does, there's not like a direct correlation to the amount of clients I have, unfortunately. And so I think that's the other thing too, is that sometimes people think like, if I could just get quoted in, you know, this publication, then everything would be great. And what's interesting is that it is a great way to 
build your newsletter list or get more eyeballs on your website or improve your SEO. But it's also funny because you never really know which piece of press is going to be the piece of press that brings you, that translates to dollars, right? right. Yeah, makes sense. Now, these days, does the press reach out more to you to be featured or are you reaching out to the press? Yeah, now I don't do any outreach to the press. Okay. Um, I answer an occasional media request if it's really specific on some on a topic that I'm uh, feel like I can give a great answer on. Um, there's different, more specific media requests like within um, like financial planning that will be very specific that they're looking for a CFP to quote. Um, and if it's on something to deal with millennials and money, then I'll usually respond. But mostly I have enough reporters reaching out to me that I just uh, don't have the time actually to do that as much anymore, which is really interesting. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of that, you know, like I said earlier, it's about building those relationships. And I feel really fortunate that I've been able to do that um, the way I have and that I have people reaching out to me at a variety of different publications for a quote. And I'm grateful when I can, when I can um, give one. And sometimes I can't, sometimes I don't have the time and I pass those on to other financial planners that I think would be a good fit. So we have some case studies that we're going to run by Sophia because I know there's entrepreneurs out there and hustlers that have a bit of money or maybe you don't have any money and uh, but want some good financial advice. And Sophia does not know what these case studies are, so she's completely blindsided by this. And uh, we'll see what she says. So case study number one, Sophia. Okay. Um, I am an entrepreneur making $60,000 a year, and I spend less than $20,000 in expenses. What should I do with my money? Yeah, so I think it's really important to hire a good tax accountant when you're an entrepreneur, a CPA. And I think this is a mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make because a portion of your 60 grand a year is going to go towards taxes. And a lot of entrepreneurs... Um, kind of ignore how their tax situation affects their their finances. Um, so in this type of situation, um, you are probably in a lower tax bracket, like the 15 or 25% tax bracket. So I would recommend maxing out a Roth IRA. Um, you can put up to $5,500 a year in a Roth IRA. And I would, I think that's important because it's important to start saving for retirement now while you're young. Um, and while your business is growing, um, when you do a Roth IRA, you pay taxes on the money now and you don't pay taxes on the money uh, when you take it out. So when you, that money grows, let's say you put in $5,500 a year and, um, you know, you put in, you know, 50 grand over the next 10 years and that grows to, you know, 250 grand by the time you retire, when you withdraw that money in retirement, you don't have to pay taxes on that because you already paid taxes when you were in a low tax bracket, like 15% or 25% when you put the money in. Um, and then also, um, then another thing you can do 
um, is, you know, really looking for like what tax deductions you can take. And that's why I think it's really good to work with a CPA. Um, you know, do you have a high deductible healthcare plan that has a health savings account that you can put money into every year? Do you have a home office deduction you can take? Are you writing off your um, cell phone bill under, you know, is that a business expense or a personal expense or is it half and half? Um, and these are things that a great CPA can point out to you um, and that you might not be thinking about. So I think it's really important to to also build emergency savings um, at the same time to, you know, have that cash on hand, start putting some money away for retirement, eliminating your debt at this point is really helpful as well. So that when you do start investing bigger dollars, that we really have a solid financial foundation in which to do so. Wow, you're really good at this. <laughs> oh, thanks. Okay, case study number two. I am a coder that is living paycheck to paycheck and has about $15,000 in a self-directed IRA with holding with gold and silver. What should I do? How much? Uh, what's their income? Um, we'll just Did you say, tell me? No, I didn't, but we'll just say uh, $2,000 a month. Okay. And they have a self-directed IRA have and they have gold and silver. Correct. Worth about 15000 Yeah. So I'm not a huge, so I'm a passive investor. I'm not a huge fan of, of commodities. Um, I believe that markets are efficient and that, um, you know, I think that it's, there's a lot of different ways to invest um, for, for this person, I would say, um, you know, really figuring out like what the goal of that money is. So, you know, why are we investing in gold and silver? Is it because you're afraid of the stock market? Is it because you, you know, like I, I would be asking like more questions about that. Um, I think that self-directed IRAs can also be used to purchase um, investment properties. So that's usually uh, a case when I would see more uh, somebody having more money in there and, and building, I would be more inclined to encourage them to build up that account for more of an investment property purchase. Um, but really I would find out what else is going on in this person's life in terms of financial goals and priorities. You know, are they, they're making a couple grand a month. Um, you know, again, I'd be recommending a Roth IRA. I'd be recommending, uh, like, let's get out of debt. Let's build up savings. Um, and then how can we take the business to the next level? You know, you're a coder. You could be making a hundred grand a year working for somebody else. How do we do that working for yourself? Um, so what types of clients do we need to get so that we can raise our rates and be making more money and, and get on track with our financial goals faster? So I'm less interested in what they're investing in and more interested in what are the actual goals of, of this specific person and how can we help them reach their goals faster? Wow, this is excellent. Okay, one more, Sophia. Sure. Okay. Um, case study number three. I am also an entrepreneur that has a software business and I make over $100,000 in personal income each year. What should I do? 
Yeah, so this is a great opportunity to set up what's called a SEP IRA, which is a self-employed pension individual retirement account. Um, And that's how you save more than just the $5,500 per year in your Roth IRA or traditional IRA. The nice thing about SEP IRAs is that they reduce your tax bill. So now that you're making six figures, you've also moved up in tax brackets. You're probably in the 28% tax bracket or Um, And so every dollar you put into your, basically, let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket, or let's say you're in the 33% tax bracket, just to keep this easy. Basically, for every $3 you put in um, to your SEP IRA, you reduce your tax bill by a by $1. So if you um, are trying to save money on your taxes, I think, and you're going to get hit with a big tax bill now that you're making a hundred grand a year, I think one of the best things that you could do is actually take, um, you can actually take up to like 25% of your income to put in a SEP IRA. And so that could reduce your tax bill significantly. So let's say you put $10,000 into a SEP IRA, you're looking at a reduction in your taxes of, you know, $3,000 to $3,500 if you're in the 33% tax bracket. Um, Even if you're in the 25% tax bracket, still looking at $2,500 reduction in your tax bill. So if you are an entrepreneur right now and you know you're going to get hit with a big tax bill um, for 2016, like let's say you haven't kept up on your quarterly tax payments, please look into starting a SEP IRA. Um, Another unique thing about SEP IRAs is you can actually um, file an extension. And this is the only type of retirement account that gives you, allows you to extend your um, your SEP IRA contribution as well. So let's say you know you're going to owe 20 grand on in April on your taxes, but you decide instead to um, put 20 grand into your SEP IRA, thus reducing your tax bill by five grand. You only have to come up with 15 grand by April, but then by September of that year or October when your taxes are due for the extension deadline, um, you would have to come up with that $20,000 to put in your SEP IRA so that you wouldn't get hit with a with a penalty for not paying your tax, you know, for paying insufficient taxes. But that does two things, right? So you're reducing taxes in the current year and you're also saving for the future. And that's why I think a SEP IRA is really powerful. And I think it's a tool that a lot of um, online entrepreneurs are not using the same way more traditional small business owners are. Um, This is for self-employed individuals. So keep in mind, if you have um, a bunch of employees working for you, you might be better suited to set up like a, um, a, a simple IRA or a 401k through, which is a retirement plan through your employer that allows your employees to also contribute to that. Um, but SEP IRAs can significantly reduce your tax bill, especially for those solo entrepreneurs. Um, if you're making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, the maximum is actually something around $53,000 that you can put into a SEP IRA. So that can reduce your tax bill pretty significantly. Again, you're at the point where you need a CPA, you need a good tax accountant on your team. Um, I think it's really important to to be smart. Um, so, so if we take case study number one and case study number three, this is what I often see is where people are going from making, you know, just kind of 
you know, making making not a ton of money, but starting to make more money, maybe replacing their old income to all of a sudden making six figures. And this is why it's really important to contribute to a Roth IRA while you're in a lower tax bracket, maybe that 15% tax bracket, so that you're paying the taxes on that money up front. Because once you're making over a certain amount of money, and for individuals, it's like 109, it depends if you're a single tax fire versus a married tax fire. But once you're well into the six figures, you actually can no longer contribute to a Roth IRA. You don't qualify, but you would qualify for a SEP IRA. And so this is where it's important to get those dollars into that SEP IRA while you're you're still growing your business, while you're not making a ton of money, paying low tax there. And now that you're making a lot more money and that you're paying higher taxes and you've moved into the 28 or 33% tax bracket, it becomes much more important to find ways to reduce your tax bill. And one of the best ways is through a SEP IRA and another great way is through an HSA or a health savings account, although you can only put a few thousand dollars a year into that. Um, but really kind of like looking for those other the deductions again that you can get. Um, and this is how you can really navigate through your tax situation to maximize your financial situation. Amazing. I didn't know a lot of that stuff and I'm, I'm taking notes and I'm hoping the listeners are taking notes too. Okay, Sophia, one more question and we'll wrap everything up. Great. Okay. What are you investing in? So, um, I am a more passive investor. So I have my, I have a handful of investments at, um, at Betterment, which is what I recommend to a lot of my clients. I think Betterment's a really easy way to set up, um, a a bank account and they invest in a bunch of low cost ETFs that are usually Vanguard or iShares or Schwab ETFs. And that's a great way to keep your costs really low. I started my SEP IRA there. They made it really easy to do so. Um, I still have some accounts at Schwab. Um, I have a few individual stocks, but I usually invest in individual stocks with the goal of hopefully donating appreciated stock in the future to charity. Because when you donate appreciated stock, let's say you bought it for $500 and now it's worth $2,000 and you donate, you know, 10 shares worth $2,000, you get a $2,000 tax deduction, um, which is you something that you only paid $500 for. Um, at the same time, if that stock goes down and that $500 stock is you know, only worth $100, you can sell it and you can deduct that $400 loss on your taxes. So that's another way to, to reduce your tax bill. So I, um, yeah, I try to not do as much of individual stocks and more have like a passive investment approach and use individual stocks for more um, charitable giving and tax purposes. Amazing. Sophia, I have to give you a huge thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you for your time and sharing your wisdom and all that great financial advice to all the entrepreneurs and listeners out there. Thank you so much. Thank Uh, you for having me. You're welcome. And Sophia, one more thing. If the listeners want to reach out and get a hold of you, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, check out my website, genyplanning.com. And if you want to apply to become a client, you can go to genyplanning.com backslash apply. And if you just want to say hi on Twitter, uh, I love Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at Sophia Barra, S-O-P-H-I-A-B-E-R-A. Come say hi. 
Sophia, thank you once again. And listeners, thank you for joining us on the podcast. And we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. The Entrepreneur House is a business accelerator for six and seven figure entrepreneurs. Imagine spending an extended period of time with other successful entrepreneurs working together and growing your business. Day to day, you interact with other driven and smart business people. Spending an extended period of time around them alters your business and your mentality around business. Goals are set, business grows, new partnerships develop, greater profit margins are achieved, the productivity skyrockets for attendees, and you get to have an incredible adventure while doing it. This year, our main event will be held in Chiang Mai, Thailand. It is four weeks from October 26th to November 24th and held for six and seven figure entrepreneurs only. It will be full of workshops, masterminds, advisors, co-working, and fun weekend social events. Be sure to check out the details at theentrepreneurhouse.com as soon as possible. This event will fill up fast. For those of you that are interested and have some questions, be sure to contact us through theentrepreneurhouse.com forward slash contact. We will respond as soon as possible. For now, saludos from somewhere in the world.